This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. Thanks for being with us today. Yesterday at 2.28 p.m., the city of Buffalo paused as bells from the city's churches tolled to mark one year since an 18-year-old white man armed with an assault rifle drove three hours from his home in Conklin, New York, to a Topps grocery store in Buffalo's east side. The only purpose of his trip was to shoot and kill black people. In a matter of minutes, this racist gunman brutally murdered Roberta Drury, Marcus Morrison, Andre McNeil, Aaron Salter, Geraldine Talley, Celestine Cheney, Hayward Patterson, Catherine Massey, Ruth Whitfield, and Pearl Young. The shooter also injured three more people in the store that day. The, the feeling of, of pain and hurt and sorrow um, since 514 is always just below the surface. This is Byron Brown. He's mayor of Buffalo, New York. It's a role he served in since 2006. I spent some time with Mayor Brown this weekend when I visited Buffalo as part of the city's commemoration of the black lives stolen last year by racist violence at the Topps grocery store. And when I think about it, when I talk about it, uh, the tears can, can flow. And as mayor, you wanna be tough and strong and, and hold it together. Uh, so I don't let the tears flow in public, but in the shower, mm -hmm. in the morning and at night, that's when I let the tears flow. Many in Buffalo feel that their losses were quickly forgotten in the brutal torrent of gun violence which has filled the year since this shooting. Indeed, it was less than two weeks after the Buffalo massacre when a 19-year-old gunman took the lives of 21 children and teachers in classrooms at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. But no one in Buffalo has forgotten. And this weekend brought with it painful memories of loss and terror. This should not be happening in the United States of America where innocent children, innocent seniors are having their lives snatched from them. Um, this year alone, over 200 mass shootings in our country and only 134 days in the year. Since May 14th, 2022, in the city of Buffalo, the horrible mass shooting that we're talking about today, there have been more than 650 additional mass shootings in this country. Something has to be done. It's not getting better. It's, it's getting worse. The feelings, the anger, the pain, the anguish, um, sometimes it's hard to process. This has been a very painful period for our community, probably one of the darkest times in the entire history of the city of Buffalo. So want to make sure 
that this weekend of reflection and remembrance is done in a way that will properly mm-hmm. honor the precious lives that were lost, the, or I should say taken, not yeah. lost, yeah. the those who were injured that survived, and those who were in the store and on the street uh, on Jefferson Avenue that survived. The Buffalo Massacre is not simply an example of America's rampant gun violence. It's a story about American racism and is connected to a long history of deadly racial terror in America. The 18-year-old white man whose deadly rampage killed 10 and wounded three was an avowed white supremacist. He was raised more than three hours away from Buffalo in the overwhelmingly white town of Conklin, New York. Now, sentenced to life in prison, the killer was radicalized online, penned a nearly 200-page racist manifesto, and live-streamed his murderous attack. But his crimes were made possible by a mundane, entrenched form of American racism. Residential segregation. You see, the killer wanted to murder black people, and he knew this store would be filled with black people because it was the sole grocery store in a vastly, predominantly black community, easily identified by zip code. Public policy in America has shaped a lot of communities, and the history and the legacy of segregation can be seen all across the United States. So, yes, this murderer came to Buffalo with the expressed intent to kill as many black people as possible. And it was an attack on Buffalo's black community, but talking to many friends and colleagues all across the country, because of the intent, because of the methodology, it felt like an attack on all of black America. Back in 2022, just days after the massacre, we talked with historian Jelani Cobb, who's a staff writer at The New Yorker and dean of the Columbia School of Journalism. Like Mayor Brown, Professor Cobb understood the attack as directed toward black people more broadly. And he offered historical context for that brutality by returning us to the red summer of 1919. And that summer, we saw mass attacks on black people in cities across the country in reaction to a number of dynamics, uh, including you know, the nascent Great Migration, black people gaining a foothold in employment and in industrial sectors, etc., and an attempt to literally beat them back into submission. And, you know, we talk about the, the red summer of 1919, but it's really kind of shorthand for the entire era. Uh, the East St. Louis massacre happened in 1917. The Elaine, Arkansas massacre happened in 1921. Tulsa happened in 1921. And so it, it was a intense time period in which we saw an upswing of racial violence directed at Black communities. We're going to take a quick pause right here, back with more on one year since the Buffalo Massacre 
in just a moment. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. (laughs) Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. We're back and continuing our conversation commemorating one year since the massacre in Buffalo, New York. Dean Cobb also situated the Buffalo shooter within a more recent history of deadly, hate-fueled violence by white supremacists. The 2015 murders at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. The deadly, anti-Semitic attack on Pittsburgh's Tree of Life Synagogue in 2018. The targeting of Latino shoppers in a murderous rampage in 2019 in an El Paso, Texas Walmart. I think we've seen this pattern frequently enough to be able to recognize, you know, the details of it. Uh, One of the things that was particularly notable, you know, is that now, you know, the manifesto has become, you know, the uh, accessory du du jour for the mass murderer. You know, these badly written screeds uh, about racial jeopardy and the need to defend white people. That's what one of the common themes we saw in uh, everything left behind uh, by these killers in each of those those instances. Uh, and so I think that both in the sense of the history, the grand sweep of history in the United States, and in the sense of the immediate pattern we've seen in the last decade, there's no real way to be surprised at any of this, not if you've been paying the least bit of attention. Perhaps the long history and recent uptick in racist violence means we're no longer surprised. But we do continue to wrestle with trying to understand why. Here again is Buffalo's mayor, Byron Brown. What were the conditions uh, that allowed this hatred to build up, uh, that allowed uh, these feelings of white supremacy, these fears of white replacement, to be so strong that an 18-year-old man uh, would travel uh, hundreds of miles away from home and to try to kill and kill other people. During my visit to Buffalo, I spoke with leaders who'd been on the ground every single day of the last difficult year. They're working to interrupt violence to feed community members who were left for months without a grocery store. They're demanding accountability from courts and elected leaders. Their work is motivated not by hate, but by courage, steely determination, and abiding love. Oftentimes when things like this happen, communities turn on each other. People 
break things, the anger erupts, they, they, they burn things, they attack each, each other. In Buffalo, in the aftermath of this, people came together uh, to pray, uh, to hold hands, to lift each other up, uh, to embrace the families of those whose lives were taken, to embrace the survivors, the families of the survivors, uh, to bring food, uh, to find ways to try to make the community better, to direct investment. So the strength, the resilience, the togetherness, the love that, that Buffalo has shown after this most horrific event has been a model for the nation and a model for the world. I'm very proud of that. Indeed, Professor Jelani Cobb pointed to the necessity of this work during our conversation last year. Still reeling from the deadly brutality, his prescient comments to me were a reminder that charitable acts of service would be necessary but insufficient, and that the Buffalo Massacre was calling us to deeper, generational work of organizing for justice. And that work is rooted in the lives labors, and legacy of generations who go before us. We have benefited so tremendously from the work of a previous generation. You know, we had struggles, we had things we had to do, but the rudiments, the fundamentals were in place, you know, because of the work that had been done before us. Uh, And we're now in a place where we actually have to get out and secure that future for ourselves or retain, regain that future for ourselves and for generations that come after us. And it's a sobering awareness. Uh, and by no means do I think we can like underestimate the scale of the work that is in front of us. Uh, and at the same token, we admire W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, we admire Anna Julia Cooper, uh, we admire uh, Ida B. Wells Barnett for what they did precisely in moments like these not for what they did in moments of comfort and ease. Like that's the reason that we've created this canon that includes those people, uh, because we had some understanding that their example would be useful for us in, in some future moment. And now we find ourselves in that, in that moment. We find ourselves now in that moment. Our thanks to Mayor Byron Brown of Buffalo for taking the time to sit down and reflect with me this weekend. And thank you again to historian Jelani Cobb, Dean of the School of Journalism at Columbia University, for his enduring insights shared during our conversation last year. <laughs>